with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mysteries of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and I'm so pleased to finally have a long overdue interview with Danielle Blackwood. Danielle is the author of the best-selling book, The Twelve Faces of the Goddess, Transform Your Life with Astrology, Magic, and the Sacred Feminine. Danielle is a certified archetypal astrologer and a registered counseling therapist with an approach that is both transpersonal and rooted in feminist theory. Danielle encourages clients all over the world to live a life of radical self-acceptance and consciously reframe their stories through an archetypal lens. I connected with Danielle online. She was at home in her enchanted little cottage on magical Salt Spring Island in the Salish Sea. So welcome, Danielle. Uh, What identities do you lead with? Well, thanks so much, Carmen, for having me here today. Um, I would say I lead with, uh, I'm a registered counselor. I'm an archetypal astrologer, an author, and I have been a practicing witch for over 30 years. Wow, how exciting. Wow, you're, you're an elder in the community. Um, I've, I've heard you describe your book, The Twelve Faces of the Goddess, as a feminist astrology book. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um, I wrote my book for people who identify as women. Traditional astrology has always been very male-centric. So out of the 10 planets, only Venus and the moon were ever considered feminine. So a long time ago when I was young, (laughs) I looked into this and I thought that seems really crazy. And, And I knew that there were feisty female characters because I myself am a double Aries. So I always wondered why why does, why does it have to be a masculine sign? Because in astrology, traditional astrology, Aries is considered a masculine sign, right? So I, I thought about that and I thought, you know, I, I watched Bionic Women and Secrets of Isis and Wonder Woman and all of those shows and I thought, this is a long time ago. And I thought, this is, this is pretty crazy. I really want to discover the feminine face of each sign. So that's one of the first sort of sojourns into this that I had. Yeah, and so that brings me to gender essentialism. It is obviously the attrib- attributing binary gender characteristics to the male and the female, which I think that old school astrology really is guilty of, like many other disciplines. Mm. So I thought that it's high time to change that and write a book from a more female or feminine perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, and you say in a few different places in the book that, um, you know, every person, no matter how they identify as gender, um, can hold these archetypes of, of potentially many different signs. And um, and it it's not just that it might depend on the the day or the, the, the moon or, or that sort of thing, but that it's inherent in every person. We have all of these capacities within us. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciated that because I also, I, I, I also find that a little bit uh, frustrating as a Scorpio myself that um, I would say those of us who have, um, yeah, Scorpio is our son, will often hear of it 
sometimes coded, sometimes obviously as the shadow aspects of the feminine. And it's like, or like as the femme fatale or as the, you know, the, 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 like the bad woman, the dark woman kind of archetype, which is like, great. Hey, that, that archetype is within me for sure, but that's not the only archetype. And it, it, it's true that it seems like there aren't too many, um, you know, more receptive, nurturing, um, uh, connective, uh, archetypes that we often hear in the horoscope um, in general in the zodiac. So, yeah, I, I really appreciated that aspect of the book that you um, are talking about the feminine, but you say many times that men and male identified folks can carry these attributes too. Now, for folks who don't know, and I would be included in this, I'd heard of archetypal astrology. I'd heard of evolutionary astrology. I kind of just thought they were like trendy marketing terms. So (laughs) you mentioned in your book, that's not what they are. They're different techniques. Could you explain that? Sure, absolutely. Um, Archetypal astrology and evolutionary astrology are both I guess you could consider them different styles of astrology, just like when you're talking about psychology. You know, there's cognitive behavioral psychology, there's uh, Jungian psychology, I mean, analytical psychology, it goes on. So it's a similar idea to that. So with archetypal astrology, what we're talking about are the, the archetypes that we see that arise in your birth chart, right? So we see the stories, we see the motifs connected to deities and different, different stories and mythologies throughout um, different histories and cross-culturally. So that is the way I would describe archetypal astrology. Now, evolutionary astrology is about, well, the first thing that we think when we're talking about evolutionary astrology is that it has to be an acceptance of the idea of many lifetimes, of the soul reincarnating. So it's it truly about looking back and seeing where your soul has come from, but more importantly, where it is you want to be pointing your ship in this lifetime. So it's true about your evolutionary intent in this lifetime. So with evolutionary astrology, it's all about talking about what we are here to learn. And we, we look at it as though we, are, we choose our birth charts, we choose the circumstances in which we are born so that we can cer- learn certain lessons. So mm. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I well, yeah. I wondered. Um, you mentioned something in the beginning there, and also in the book about evolutionary astrology does focus on past lives. And I was like, can they pull up a birth chart from a past life? Like, what <laughs> what are they? Or are they sort of looking at the stories and the archetypes and saying, oh, you know, well, we would consider yeah. this a sign that in the past, or that your sort of karmic work, let's say, in this lifetime is this. But they're not like mm. determining where where you were in a past life, right? Um, not specifically. So what we look at with evolutionary astrology is usually Pluto and the nodes of the moon. So looking at those three points, especially, we can tell really what, where you're coming from, your karmic inheritance or legacy, most importantly, what you might want to be releasing in this lifetime so that you can evolve into the next step. So So looking at where Pluto is and where the North Node and the South Node are. Also looking at aspects, especially to the South Node in terms of past lives. Mm -hmm. You want to look at what house that South Node is in, what sign it's in, and then see what what aspects are being made to it from other planets. And when you take all of those things and put them together, we actually do get a really interesting story that emerges out of it. So while we're not going to say, oh, you were 
Cleopatra in another lifetime, <laughs> for instance, we will be able to tell some really interesting things sometimes. And, and it, most importantly, once again, those core lessons of what, what, where you've come from and what you're here to kind of move past, move through, and then go on to your next level. So mm. I find it fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah. is fascinating. So from an archetypal astrology perspective, then, it sounds like you needed to sit with each sign and, um, you know, didn't, didn't necessarily have guides, you know, historical guides anyway. It, it, did you have to sort of go into your own process to figure out which archetypes, which goddesses fit with each sign? What was your process like to write the book? That's a great question. Well, I already had some ideas because I've been doing this for a while, but I, so I would look at each, so starting with the first sign Aries, I would look and see what goddesses resonate with those Aries uh, symbols. So the Aries archetype is uh, the warrior, right? So I would be in warrior, sexuality, uh, standing one's ground. Those are all very Aries qualities. So I looked and I, I did a lot of research with this book, actually. And I found goddesses cross-culturally that resonated with each archetype. So for Aries, I found quite a few, actually. Pele being one of them, Kali being another. And also, Maha, who is an Irish goddess. So she is the one who I chose as my main goddess for various reasons. And then at the end of each chapter, I also added the others who, if you're drawn to them, you can connect with those as well. Mm -hmm. I was actually really happy to see that there were a number of goddesses that we don't commonly hear about. And Maha was one of them. Would you share her story and a little bit about maybe some of the uh, rituals and associations that you include in the book for her because she's a lesser known goddess that I think deserves a bit of uh, platform. Absolutely. I, I love Maka actually being an Aries. <laughs> she's, she is one of my guiding goddesses. She is, like I said, I think an Irish goddess. She was an aspect of the triple goddess, the Morrigan, whose name means great queen. And Maka is a goddess of boundaries, of sovereignty, of, again, that idea of standing one's ground and, you know, saying no when it's necessary. She um, was the only queen listed in the High Kings of Ireland, which I find just, just awesome, <laughs> right? And... Um, so basically what had happened in one of her stories, the one that I, one of the stories that I think especially connects with Aries is that uh, her father died and she stepped up and claimed the right of kingship based on her own merits in a society that did not recognize the right of a woman to rule. So his cousin decided to engage her in battle, which she won and she's you know, she victorious. Mm -hmm. And then after that, then his son's, pursued her in a second battle. So it, there's, it's a very interesting story about how she disguises herself and leads them out into the woods and has sex with each of them. And as she's doing so, she binds them up and ties them and carries them back to Ulster where she forces them to build her stronghold called Emin Maha. And that's, that's like her, her fort. It's a Bronze Age fort, actually. And... Uh, so it, it really shows that she's a woman who will not be, or a goddess, who will not be subjugated by men, mm. who is bold enough, which is another Aries quality, to step forward and, and claim what is rightfully hers. 
So these are there's some of the qualities. She's also known as Grian, which means son of womankind. So that suggests that she's uh, connected to the fire element, which again, Aries is a sign that is connected to the fire element. So many, many qualities that I think correlate to the sign Aries. And um, also the, the sexual aspect as well. So when she it gets those uh, sons of Dithorba and she, she has sex with them in the woods, it's, um, she, it's showing that she's very strategic too in battle. She's, not, she's very wise, but she also has that sexual confidence that she can mm-hmm. use kids to, which, which can sometimes be attributed to Aries as well. Wow. Wow. So interesting. And, and uh, would I be right in saying that Macha is often associated though, like everything you're describing of her, um, she doesn't sound very crone like to me. Why did I think she had some crone characteristics? Is it just because she was a queen? Maybe so. Cause Mm. I don't know of any stories um, off the top of my head where she would have been described as a crone. Mm. So she was usually described as a warrioress, you know, somebody mm. who is, you know, driving into battle, similar to uh, Boudicca. Mm-hmm. Oh, who we also love. Yes, we do. <laughs> she also, I, I have her listed as well as one of my Aries goddesses. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so I would say she's probably, you know, a woman in her prime if we mm-hmm. were to to anthropomorphize her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. You also had another one of my favorites, Hestia. And Hestia is so frequently um, associated with, you know, hearth and home. And sometimes almost, I would say, a little bit too much of like the good wife. As an animist myself, I've also often felt like, come on, everybody, we can see that she was clearly fire itself before she was anthropomorphized and, you know, personified. And I think that's why she hangs out so close to home because I think that's my idea. Anyway, my revisioning, um, who do you associate Hestia with in the Zodiac? Well, I, I really love with Virgo as a matter of fact, because uh, Hestia was one of the three virgin goddesses in the Greek pantheon. So the really interesting part of Hestia's story is that she was pursued by Apollo and Poseidon. And she petitioned Zeus and she said, I want eternal virginity. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be with either of these guys. So he granted to, to her and in appreciation for her keeping the peace, which is actually, I think, more than her just keeping the peace. She was just not having any of it, right? <laughs> she was, no, thank you. Um, he gave her some of the highest recognition and honor in all of Greek society. So she was, yes, as you say, she was, she was literally the fire. She was in, in, in the hearth, in the home. And there's many stories with Hestia about how they would take the fire to a new colony, to start a new place of living, or to a married couple. They would take the fire from the parents' house and start their first fire in their hearth in their new home. So she was very, very important. The reason why I choose her for Virgo is because as a virgin goddess, so it virgin originally meant whole unto herself. And Virgo is very good, again, similar to uh, Maha, but very different at drawing boundaries and only agreeing to what makes sense. And similarly with Hestia, she said no to the attentions of both Apollo and Poseidon. And she was, she's very self-contained. So Virgo and Hestia both, very autonomous, very self-contained. Um, 
Uh, oh, also another correlation between the two is the sacred within the mundane, the sacred within the everyday. So the hearth fire uh, being one of the, the main symbols there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So just go ahead, please. We're meeting on the new moon in Virgo as we're having this conversation. What would you say would be some good rituals that folks could do if they wanted to invoke Hestia? Ooh, well, I, I have a ritual in my book called Sorting the Seeds. And Hestia and Virgo, Virgo season, Virgo time right now, is all about preparations for the harvest. So sorting seeds and um, looking at things with a very critical eye and saying what needs to die on the vine, what needs to be composted, what needs to be collected and harvested, and, and sorting and sifting. So the Virgo, the archetype, as you probably have read, many different places is very analytical and very, you know, uh, discriminating. And I think that part of the reason that it is, is because Virgo people are born during the season when it is all about being discriminating and analytical and sorting. So I would say that the ritual of sorting the seeds would be, and it's, uh, it is just sort of what it sounds like. (laughs) So it's literally sorting the seeds and, um, and sort of doing it, doing it in a metaphorical way. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a ritual, or not a ritual, but a motif that has shown up in many different fairy tales and stories throughout the ages in many different cultures, the idea of sorting seeds. Uh, mm-hmm. Original Cinderella, she was supposed to sort seeds. Yeah, yeah and I think Vasilisa in some yeah. stories has to do it. And I thought maybe Aphrodite right. also maybe, or, or no, Aphrodite made Psyche do it or something That's like right. that. Like there's, there, yeah, yeah, it's a thing that comes up. And oh, yeah. I can see how it's very Virgo oriented. Yeah, yeah so, definitely. <laughs> you know how, um, like I've read in different um astrology columns and things like that, you'll see uh, it'll say the moon is in whatever sign for two and a half days. And um, I sometimes wonder like, A, how do you figure that out? (laughs) And B, if you then, let's say you wanted to invoke, you know, Leo energy, but Leo season is past and, and, but you really want some of that um, confident creativity or something like that. How would you figure out when is the best time of month then? Um, and, and how would you invoke Leo when it's, when it's sort of outside of that, that sign season? Oh, excellent question. Okay. There's two ways that I would do that. So the first way is um, I would look at your chart right? Or you would look at your chart and you would find where you have the glyph or the symbol for Leo in that outside wheel of your chart. Okay. okay? Um, I wish I had a chart here so I could show you an example, but you've seen charts. Between yeah. And you can see them that. online just by like, there's a lot of free ones online, right? There are, not all of them are this as good. Mm. Um, there's some that are better than others. The one on Astro Danced is pretty good, but, um, so anyway, so find where you have Leo in your birth chart and look at what house that's on. So for instance, let's just use the new moon in Virgo today. Oh, do you want to use Leo or Virgo? Oh, Leo, Leo Virgo, Leo. it's fine. We, okay, we can Leo. give Leo a little bit of uh, air time. Airplay, yeah. <laughs> so find Leo and say, for instance, you have Leo somewhere on your third house, right? So then you would look at what does the third house mean? Because that's the house, the houses are 12 life areas that are divided among around your chart. They're like little pieces of pie. So you would look and see what sign is 
Okay, so if it was at four degrees Leo, for instance, where do you have four degrees Leo? So you need to remember that the chart starts at the rising sign, which if you're looking at a clock, it would be nine o'clock. So it's on the left hand side. And we always read a chart counterclockwise. So going in that direction, go around the circle and find that symbol for Leo and then Mm -hmm. find right around where it would be around four degrees. So Let's say wait, it's wait, a, what do you mean four yeah. degrees then if we're going just because I always see that and I always think, oh, if right. I, I don't know, what if I'm in the wrong spot? Well, just look ahead at the next cusp of the house and it'll say the next sign. Okay. So for instance, you so for instance, say you find Leo on your chart, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm not sure if this is near four degrees or not. So then go mm-hmm. to the next cusp, and if it says it'll say a number. And it will say a sign. So say perhaps okay. it's, uh, you know, 16 Virgo. You're going to know that Le- four degrees Leo is going to be before that. Okay. Because right? Virgo follows Leo. Okay. So you need a very basic understanding of astrology to do it. Not a lot, actually. It's quite easy to, to do this. So then you find that where Leo is, and then you find that house, and you're like, okay, that's where I exude or am able to cultivate this kind of Leo energy. That's where I can focus on Leo, like creativity and, you know, the inner child and, you know, all of those kind of things and, and really make that happen. Mm. So that's, that's one way you can do it. You can do that every month. You can do that for whatever, every new moon. Mm. So today, moving on to Virgo, we have the new moon in Virgo at six degrees, six degrees Virgo. So you would do the same thing. You'd look at your chart. You'd find the symbol for Virgo. And then you would estimate approximately where six degrees would be. And that house is the life area, which is the most fertile ground for you to be planting your seeds of intention for this month. Mm. Does that help a little bit? Yeah, for sure. And then yeah. what about in a lunar cycle, the, the two and a half days thing that it, the moon moves yeah. through every two and a half days? Yeah, approximately every two and a half days, the moon changes sign. And so if you are so perhaps wanting to do, say, uh, an Aries pathworking or an Aries, the Maka, you know, the standing your ground pathworking. So maybe you want to do it during Aries time. So you would look and see when is the moon next in Aries, mm. right? And, and it's, it's actually quite simple because what you need is a daily planetary guide or you can just go online and it's mm. everywhere. And then, yeah, and just take it from there. So does that, is yeah, that, that's good. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I also was thinking, you know, I'm kind of circling back a little bit to how we honor different archetypes and how we honor, um, you know, the different aspects within ourselves. And in the book, you actually begin um, kind of locating yourself and, and, and sharing a bit, a bit about your own history. Mm-hmm. And you share about your grandmother, who has a really fascinating and, and harrowing and also inspiring story um, about her escape through the Berlin Wall. And sometimes I wondered, like, okay, so we can honor our ancestors, but like, what was her sign? And <laughs> how could we, like, how, you know, how could we include mm-hmm. um, some of our ancestors in this archetypal? Um, worship or these archetypal devotions, these archetypal invocations, would, would you be willing to share a little bit about your grandmother and maybe what you know about her, her sure. astrological chart? <laughs> I do. I do know a little. She didn't have her time of birth, so it was a little more difficult. But she was a very 
Capricornian Capricorn. <laughs> so absolutely a Capricorn um, with all the qualities of perseverance and hard work and all of that kind of thing. Um, yes, my grandmother uh, and her side of the family, they came from a little place that was between, nestled in the, just on the foothills of the Carpathian Mountains between Hungary and Romania. And it, their people were called the Donishwaben. They're a Germanic tribe that settled there a couple of hundred years ago. And they were farmers, and they worked the land, and they lived peaceably there for quite some time. So what happened is that after World War II ended, because they were of German descent, they, the people who won the war used them as reparation for the war. So what happened essentially is that they... They took the men and they executed them, all of them. And they took the women and put them on rail cars bound for Siberian labor camps. The children were all rounded up and they were put into orphanages in what was a communist country. So this, I even have chills talking about it right now because I remember how she used to tell this story and just not knowing where your children were going, not knowing where you were going, going just your husband has been dragged off you hearing people being shot and um she was taken to northern russia where she stayed for uh nine years i believe it was so it was pretty bad and the the conditions in the camp were the stuff of nightmares basically they were rape and beatings and all sorts of you know terrible the, the worst things that you can imagine happening in these camps and they were all women who were put in these these they were they were coal camps so my grandma would tell stories about being in these little skinny arms in the caves where you you couldn't even move your arms you'd have to chip the coal out just kind of on the you know, the best you could and um yeah so it was pretty brutal times eventually she escaped and she made her way to East Germany. I do not exactly know how she did that, but she talked to people and she eventually got, got there. So once she got to East Germany, she found other women who were of like-minded, like-minded, who were also looking for their families and desperate to find their children again. So they banded together and they hid in the woods, uh, waiting for a chance to cross the Berlin Wall. Now, at that time, it wasn't actually a wall yet. It was uh, wires and, you know, barbed wire and electrical and all of this kind of thing. So they eventually did. And the story of how she did it was pretty amazing because they got caught and they ended up bribing the guard with just things they had on them, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And they, they opened it and just said, just go, just run. So she made her way to West Germany, where the Red Cross had set up camps for displaced persons all over the place, because this is, you know, there was many people looking for families still at this point in time. And she went from camp to camp asking, has anyone know, did anyone know of this village? Do you know of this name, this family name? And eventually she was reunited with my mom and my aunt in 1951 on Easter Sunday. And uh, my mom, who was two years old when she was taken, was now 11 years old. So the interesting part of this is that none of them even spoke the same dialect. Mm. So they, my mom and my sister didn't even know each other. They didn't know their mother. 
and they had to get to know each other from scratch all over again. So from, wow. from there, they, they made their way to Canada as refugees and in the early 50s. And that's why I'm here today. Yeah, it, it gives me chills hearing you talk about it. I, it was so arresting to read that line that, that in the book that your mom was two when they were separated and nine. Oh, it chokes me up. I, I know. And, and yeah. you, you, you know, you, you talk a little bit in the book about your own experience of like running away at a young age and, you know, being very young and on your own in the big city in Vancouver. And I would imagine kind of the long story short um, that all of that spiritual seeking and I guess in particular astrology, if you've built your life and career around it, must have been really <laughs> helpful. Um, I, I am a little curious about um, how astrology spoke to you, why that in particular, given that you must have really been looking in a lot of different places for sort of your roots and belongings since there's such a, a sort of break intergenerationally with the attachment in your family. Mm-hmm. What did astrology provide you in terms of clarity or comfort or direction? Mm-hmm. I think it provided me with a sense of meaning, a sense of um, being able to look at things from uh, through an archetypal lens and seeing that we are all, we are all heroines of our own story. We are all the protagonists in our sacred journey. And I think that that's why I loved it so much because it's not about what's out there and the planets and all of that sort of thing. It's truly about stories. And when we, when it comes down to it, that is all what we're all about. You know, it's our stories that we tell each other, that we tell our families and it's so important that women share their stories, mm-hmm. and especially now. I mean, of all times, things are really uh, on a knife edge at the moment. And I think that women continuing to stand up and, and resist by telling their stories is, is a radical act. So that's why I love astrology, because for me, it is, it is all about the stories and the archetypes rather than this is going to happen to you next week. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not the kind of astrology I practice. But understanding life and patterns absolutely mm-hmm. yes. so which sign or goddess archetype do you invoke to help you cope with the state of the world i mean you mentioned it you know that it, or implied it anyway there's the social inequity the violence the oppression and i often think about you know climate chaos and and environmental mm-hmm. collapse and and so how yeah which which archetype or goddess would you invoke to help you cope with the grief and the rage that might come in those darker moments? That's a great question. And um, I thought about that and I thought all of them because it, for different reasons. And the first one who comes to mind obviously is Maha because she's a warrior goddess and she is all about resistance and standing up to the status quo. So absolutely her, she would be one that I would connect with and do the guided meditation, work with her rituals and really connect with her energy. But also Hestia, who we talked about a little bit, because she is about finding the still point within. Mm. It's about finding that center. And with the chaos that is happening in the collective right now, I think we all need to step aside from it sometimes, even though we're still engaging, so that we can regroup, so that we can calm ourselves and, and be ready to face whatever it is we need to face. Because it can be overwhelming. And it can be, you know, create a lot of fear and confusion and anger. So. I think Hestia is another wonderful goddess to connect with, with that for that reason. And then also Aphrodite Pandemos. 
mm. who is uh, separate from Aphrodite Urania. There are two Aphrodites, which not everyone realizes. But Aphrodite Pandemos is an earthy, lusty fertility goddess whose name means Aphrodite common to all the people. And connecting with her is really about having a healthy, self-defined sexuality and relationship with the body. So I think that even with her, we can really help ourselves, empower ourselves in, at this, this time of change. Mm-hmm. Actually, that really resonates for me um, today on this new moon in Virgo. Uh, what's kind of been up is conversations and, and discourse about land. And I often think about the body as land and land as body. And um, that, that was inspired, um, that, that line of thinking was inspired by Janet Rogers, poet uh, and uh, Mohawk activist. And, and so that notion that um, we can be in contact with ourselves and our bodies in a respectful way and also want to connect with other people and protective, you know, and sacred, and um, giving everyone access, and not keeping, you know, anyone off the land. That that feels really relevant. I love that you've you've brought that one up. And which sign is Aphrodite Pendimos uh, related to? Taurus. Hmm. Taurus yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So very earthy, grounded, connected to literally connected to the land. And to cultivation and and all of those things, nature, farming, building, making. Mm. That's mm. that simple life, that very connected, hands-on kind of life. Mm-hmm. It sounds mm. like the small and delicious life. I love I it. That. I was saying that. I was like, that sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for sharing thank your you. perspective and, and for writing the book. It's a really fresh and... Um, inspiring way to uh, look at astrology through stories. I really appreciate the work you brought into the world. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh my goodness. What great stories. Macha and Danielle's grandmother are going to stay with me for a long time. I know that for sure. Um, Something we didn't talk about in that conversation was the structure of Danielle's book. It's full of rituals and guided meditations that you can use to connect with the 12 archetypes she's chosen to represent the Zodiac. So it's not just theoretical, it's practical, it's hands-on and instructional too. So you can find out more about Danielle's work at danielleblackwood.com. And if you go to the podcast show notes on my site, you'll find links to that website, uh, her book, and also the Cosmic Weather Report she publishes monthly, as well as links to her Facebook and Instagram pages. And I highly, highly recommend you follow one or both because she posts wonderful information several times a month about significant astrological events occurring. So find all of those links at the show notes at carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. And finally, the listener shout out today is a hearty privet to my handful of listeners in St. Petersburg, Russia. I can't even, like, what are you guys, it's so cool. You're hanging out with me and now we're hanging with you and... It's it's so special to me. I've been to St. Petersburg. It's so gorgeous. Of course, I love the Hermitage, but also the people and the food. So thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Blagodarivas. What is Blagodarivas. Blagodarivas. I think it's something like that. Anyway, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you spending the time. 
And until next time, take care.